We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arsenal win away at the King Power after Leicester tried the ridiculous tactic of trying to score past Aaron Ramsdale. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Black Man on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. You know, maybe you like Brendan Rodgers, maybe you don't like Brendan Rodgers. Tactically, like, maybe he gets some things wrong, maybe he doesn't. But, like, you have got to send your team out with a tactic that can win. And the idea that you should try to score goals past Aaron Ramsdale, like, that's just dumb. Don't do that. That's never going to work. But they did try it, and uh, no, didn't work. No surprise there, because it can't be done. So, good stuff. Uh, Yeah, we will talk about uh, Aaron Ramsdale and the day he had, and it was quite the day, and, you know, he certainly soaked it up and seemed to enjoy it with the fans, and his his character uh, matched his performance, let's say it that way. But there were other good performances on the day, and I think enough little question marks about some of the things we did that we can tease out, I think, a pretty interesting debate there, and I'm sure I will be the one probing at those issues. You'll be surprised to hear, but all things being equal, very good, very good results around the board. Now, maybe one of the bad results with Spurs uh, getting hammered by United, the upshot is it keeps Ole in a job. The downside, you might say, is that it has cost Nuno his job, and Antonio Conte looks set for the Spurs job. Now, Spurs are shit and they get battered wherever they go, so I'm not too worried about it. But I think it would have been nice if Nuno could have stayed in the job a bit longer. It's funny, uh, on October 16, I tweeted, I love that United battering Spurs in the middle of this really difficult run is going to be the result that keeps Ole in his job a while longer. What I did not predict is that it would be the result that sent Conte to Spurs. So that's a, a textbook example of you win some, you lose some. But we win because you are here, and we love you for that. So thank you. We are going to dive into another Arsenal victory that sees us now within touching distance of um, you know maybe even being a top four side if West Ham would start to remember that they're West Ham for a minute, which would be nice. And to discuss that and more with me here is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Do you want to make one announcement? I have not yet had time to listen to the Arsecast. So if this... Uh, episode is terrible. It's only because I have not uh, gotten the ideas for it yet. So uh, I apologize for that in advance. So Tim, we're just going to have to wing it. We're going to have to come up 
with something to say that that spawns from our own brains. Um, we'll see see how that goes. Look, I I do want to talk a lot about Aaron Ramsdale, but let's not start there since that's not really how the game started. I think what was so exciting to me about this game was how, you know, in other games we've started fast and not always finished fast, but we didn't necessarily make that period of dominance tell. We really did in this game. We started fast, we pushed them back, we created the openings, and there was just a lot to like about the pace and intention in our play. I'm curious... You know, if you see anything that you can specifically identify that's a little different about what we're doing now, how we're playing now, that's giving us just that bit of cutting edge that maybe had been missing for a few weeks there, um, you know, prior to the Villa game. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we spoke about how like having two forwards helps us to press from the front a bit more and having Smith, Rowe and Saka who can go both ways uh, on the flanks and, and party and, and Sambi in the middle as well. That's that's all quite uh, quite athletic, but I think I wonder if it, it makes me look at the Crystal Palace game in a slightly new light as well, in that we started that game really quickly and dropped off, but only scored one goal in the time that we started mm. that game quickly. And then we had the drop off and it wasn't quite the same, I don't think, um, because it wasn't like we were calling off the dogs. I think it was more like Palace Palace switched something and 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 the game changed. I think it was more Palace forced us into that timidness yeah. but justifiably um, beat city at the weekend too by the way so maybe a rethink yeah. on who they are yeah 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 exactly and and so i i do wonder if actually uh, the, you know the last three games have maybe been more similar um but with kind of slightly different outcomes and obviously the next step is to and you know as you guys discussed on the instant reaction pod like control more of the, more of the game or um, you know, when we're controlling a game, you know, seeing it out without that meaning defending, perhaps that just meaning possession and and seeing things out. But um, I definitely, I also think that um, the the kind of new formation, like it's new, the kind of whatever you want to call it, four four two, four two two two, whatever, <laughs> it's quite new. And so teams probably haven't quite sussed it yet. I mean, maybe we'll get on to this. I do think in the second half, Leicester did suss it. And they found some spaces in it, and um, and so and maybe that's something to consider going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> forgive me, my my daughter's like abs- just absolutely gone mad in the background. <laughs> Not quite sure it. why. I love it. It, it. it could be because of the opinions I'm about to bring it, on the episode. Uh, I, I maybe, <laughs> maybe. But I, I think Leicester also made an adjustment and found some spaces in it. Like like Palace, Villa, and Leicester, they've all made adjustments at half time. Um, and, and I guess that shows you that maybe they've been a little bit caught off guard and probably our next opponents are going to be a bit more prepared for it. They're going to be waiting for that that first 20 minutes from Arsenal and they'll say to themselves, right, ride this out because after the first 20 minutes, you know, let's see what they've got after that if it's still nil-nil. So there, there's definitely some data points to consider going forward and we're, we're still like a bit of a mystery, I guess, for teams at the moment. Um, which, which kind of helps, but also just having like the athletic profile of that that kind of midfield four and front two, um, it really helps us to do that to really really kind of get after teams. Like you look at some of the players who perhaps aren't playing at the moment. Can you do that with Shaka? Can you do that with um, with Pepe? Not not so sure to be honest. So. Mm. Just having like that that more sprightly front six, I think, does make a difference as well. And I'd be really interested to see whether we can do it without those exact six players. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. You know, it it is 
I, I think particularly a lot of focus was on Pepe after the League Cup game and seeing the way I think Saka was really economical with his play and effective um, in this game. It was an interesting contrast. Now, I, ironically, Saka did get into a couple dangerous positions late where you think maybe Pepe does more with those opportunities in terms of end product, but I think we just see the, a, a cleaner, more technically um, effective player you know, when he, when he gets to that mm-hmm. final third, the decision-making. And so uh, it is interesting to compare and contrast those things, Clive. I, I think one player that I want to touch on before we get to the heroics of Ramsdale that, that you know, wound up being the story is Gabriel. Um, you know, he gets the glancing header for the goal. He's just starting to feel a little like that, that elite dominant force front to back that, you know, that we haven't had as, in a central defender in a long, long time. I'm trying to think of the last central defender who physically sort of profiles like what he gives us. Um, you know, maybe you have to go back to like a Saul Campbell. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of someone in, in the interim period and I'm, I'm drawing blanks there. Not that we haven't had some good players like Kashelny and stuff, but you know, he really is developing into that. And, you know, I'm curious how you look at, at his influence because there was so much attention on Benjamin White and obviously Nuno Tavares coming into the team and, and adding something unique and, and, uh, Tommy being new and Aaron Ramsdale being new. The one piece of the puzzle back there that is the piece that we sort of know and has been around is Gabriel. So it was easy to not be focusing on him as much because there's literally new pieces all around him. But kind of under the radar, I I think he's becoming one of our players of the season and one of the elite defenders in the league. And that evolution from him, as much as anything, I think is critical to, to our improvement. So do we... Do we? Is it time to pay a little more attention to, to poor Gabriel Magalhães? <laughs> yeah, I I think um, I think he's that rock player. I mean, when we spent fifty million pound on Ben White and people expecting him to be the rock, I wasn't one of those um, because I thought this guy is that player. And we, the reason when it first came to me was, and I said it before, was how he played against Kane and how he played against Rashford and mm. in his first year. And I saw it. I said, that's good enough for me. When there's a fight on the pitch, him and Tierney are first over the hill. I've, and I quite like that. So he's obviously got his personality about him. I will not be physically intimidated by anybody. Then you look at how he plays and he can move. He can, he can move on. He can defend on a halfway line and he can also defend in his box. And there's not, not every defender can do that. You know, that's a unique thing. Sol Campbell was like that, right? He can head airplanes out of his box, but you can't run him from the halfway line. And you look at our defenders in recent years, they can't do all of those things. Koscielny really was our equivalent in, in the older days of Color Torre, if you know what I mean, like a covering defender. But we never really had the rock next to him. So he was forced to do both jobs you know, continuously until maybe Mertesacker came along. He was a different type of player. And so if you look at his attributes, he, he's got them all. And and so the, what he didn't have was a bit of luck on a couple of yellow cards. And he was a little bit rash. He, you know, went fishing for the ball with his left foot on occasions, gave, him a, gave away a few fouls. So people called him a bit rash. But really, it was only the issue was he was 22 and new to the league, really. Just give him a bit of time. So he's had that time now. I firmly believe that a team has a psychological profile to it and you need certain psychological profile players to make up a team and I think a team needs these sort of structural figures rock-like figures in the last few weeks we've added a couple into the back line in Tomiyasu and Gabriel and in recent weeks we've added one into the front line in Lacazette and these players like to take on 
are more of a dominating physical way in how they play, how which it creates an environment for other people to be who they need to be. You know, and I think it's helped the younger players in our team having these players who can deal with the ball, deal with the first ball, or deal with the first exit, make sure they control their one-on-ones. You can add party to that. And and these structural players have come in and have given us a level of stability. And since they've all played, we've barely lost a game. Right. So I think as Tim was talking about earlier on about Lacazette, I think so this topic's a big one. I mean, maybe I shouldn't go here. <laughs> topic's a big one. Because I wherever the system is, it sort of it matters, but it doesn't matter. You can put the same shirt number on Lacazette and the way he plays that role to Odegaard means our eyes open up to a different system because of the way he moves, where he goes, how he approaches the game, what he sees as his game's priorities. And I think that's different to Odegaard. And, and Tim wrote something on a, on Twitter, which I thought was genius, right? So, and quite, Tim, if I get this wrong, tell me, right? But he says something like, there'll be a day when you need a, a hammer and there'll be a day where you need a scalpel. Something like that, was it? Regarding Lacazette and Odegaard. Perhaps. And I think... I thought that was really smart. I think because there will be a day we've got a team pushed back and we'll be begging for Odegaard. We'll be begging for him to slip a dink pass with backspins onto someone's foot. At this moment in time, this team needs structure. It needs high intensity. It needs to give younger players confidence to have a couple of dads up front doing all the work for them, carrying the team. And I think this is where we are today. But it's all changed going forward. And another thing I'd like to say quickly is Everyone's looking at his Odegaard or Lacazette, but I've got this sneaky feeling whether we it works out or not, the player that's probably closest to Lacazette doing this role is probably Pepe. And Odegaard could end up being one of these semi-wide midfielders, either on Saka's side or Smith Rowe's side, a tucked in midfielder in a box that can create from that side rather than being the second forward, if you see what I mean, in a mm-hmm. or one plus one. I think that's something for us to have a look at. I think it could be the next phase of us when teams do start to suss us out. Yeah, I I feel bad for poor Gabriel because I'm saying, is it time for us to really appreciate him and still no? (laughs) Still no, it's time to to talk about everybody else. Um, Yeah, well, well, I appreciate him. As you know, I appreciate him massively. I almost like feel like I'm repeating myself. So for me, he is the rock of the team. And I think he's, I think he's, I, I wouldn't want anyone else there, put it that way. And I mean that sincerely. Who else would you want there? No, I think, I uh-uh. think he's that good. He I, he really looks to be that good. And I, I think when you change so many pieces, think about it. Changed our right back, our right center, uh, center back, our goalkeeper, and now for a while, our left back. All changed. One of our central midfielders in front of him changed. That's a lot of change. You know, Arsene Wenger used to famously say he didn't want to make a certain number of signings in the summer because he thought too many destabilized the team. And for one young center back to have to be the one point of consistency there, that, I mean, I think it's a big responsibility and he's handled it so, so well. Um, so I just, you know, I didn't want to overlook him because I think he's a guy who could have been the man of the match in basically every match this season, but just sort of seems to be eluding the praise he deserves because there are new players who are exciting or there's, you know, a, a cool goal scored and that gets the focus. Well, let's stay then on the topic that Clive shifted us to in his role as auxiliary host, easy for me to say. Tim, the the Lacazette-Odegaard thing, first of all, I think it's a little harsh on Odegaard in one respect. Lacazette is playing the 10 in the way that I'm sure Odegaard would kind of like to, right? Like, drop in a little, connect play, set up the forwards, and then get into the box maybe, although 
Lacazette, I think, is more well-suited to the, the latter part. The last few times we've seen Odegaard play as a starter, it was from much deeper, right? I mean, that that really poor performance he had, he was basically mm-hmm. in central midfield, and I don't think that worked at all. So when he came on in this game, I thought he was really good. He had two really beautiful disguise passes to Saka, both of which could have been goals, I thought, um, if they were handled a little bit better at the end product. But speaking of Lacazette, where I think he's really made a difference, it, first of all, just the pure running he's putting in, but he he is a good presser which doesn't get enough attention. And because he has that bigger body and the strength, he can kind of connect play with while pinning someone on his back and pull people out of position. It just seems to work. But I also think that there is a sort of timer on it because he does not have the fitness to do this role at this level for very long. I think he made it, what, 57 minutes in this game. I do think he's maybe been told by Arteta, run yourself into the ground, tracking back, pressing, dropping in, getting into the box, I'll give you 50 minutes to an hour. Give me everything you've got because I, I don't know that he can play this role for the full 90. But so do you think that there's something to that, that he's that he's just being used for that very specific role for as long as he can do it, which in this game, I think, mm. like I said, was under an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think there's definitely a lot to that. Like even if he wasn't doing that, he's always been like a 60, 70 minute player, but maybe it's give me a bit more and maybe you're a 55 to 60 minute player. Mm. I, I think um, I think the distinction between the way he'd play that kind of role in Erdegaard, I guess the between the lines role is that the, the difference is that Lacazette is coming from the edge of the area and coming to meet the ball. And then you're kind of hoping that in that Firmino way that he like, he brings a player with him and creates space exactly. behind. Yep. Um, whereas Erdegaard will come from deeper and go forward, whereas for Lacazette it's a bit more of a back-to-goal thing and kind of setting the play. And you see like loads of those nice kind of touches with his back-to-goal, um, almost almost like Giroud used to do in a way. Um, and so there's there's definitely that part to it. I completely agree. I think he is very good at pressing because he's good at. Get, well, I mean, first of all, he's really good at buying fouls, um, but he does it in the same way that he tries to get the ball back. In that you rarely see him like tackle or intercept it's he gets his body in the way he gets his body between the man and the ball and he tries to kind of fish it out um and you know it's it's that because when you do that if you do that successfully then you're in control you're in control of your body you're in control of the ball it also means that you can probably make a lot of fouls um because you're always on your feet so even if even if you foul like six times like that you probably don't get booked to be honest because you're not sliding about all over the place so i I think it is very effective for that purpose um and and look lacazette's going to go next summer anyway so eventually we're going to have to fight like even let's say this system really really we really like it and we decide to just do it all the time we'd still need to find someone else to do that well we bought odegaard presumably yeah. because we need him to be able to do it. You know? Yeah, yeah, to, to play that between the right lines role, yeah, definitely. in a different way. But yeah. And yeah, and look, we, we're just talking about Gabriel, right? And, um, you know, we signed him last summer and he kind of came into the team last year and he, he looked good in some places and then, you know, slightly up and down. I, I think with Gabriel as well, it was, it's more a sense of um, like a partnership developing. Like that's definitely, I think how you should look at center halves and like, unless you get like the Van Dyke or the Sol Campbell and then it doesn't really matter who's next to them quite as much. But what we're, what we're looking at here is, is a partnership between Gabrielle and Ben White and like Ben White hasn't been brought in to be, you know, the chest thumping like leader of that back line that that's not who he is. So like Gabrielle's doing, um, doing a bit of that. So there's, 
if if we're looking for even if you were inclined to be I don't know worried about Odegaard's place in this team then you kind of look at Gabriel and you're like well he was in a very similar situation in that we had a player in David Luiz who was in the last year of his deal and he was still an important player but I guess Gabriel had to wait him out a little bit before he could become the senior guy and we buy Ben White for, for Odegaard, it might be the same. Like I, again, I'm not even. I think Odegaard will be fine this season, but it might even be the same. You know, when when next summer comes and we come to buy that forward, because I'm sure that that's the next thing on the shopping list. The forward, we can buy a forward that suits Odegaard um, a bit more, and we can say, okay, what what are the qualities we're looking for? Who can combine with this kind of 35 million number ten that we've got? So there there are still some pieces to be built. Um, in this squad there's still a couple of pieces to be added yet and so on some of these players maybe you know maybe what's happened with Gabriel and, and no one's saying Gabriel played badly last season in fact I think he was quite highly rated it just tailed off after Christmas maybe when he had COVID and got a bit of an injury and things like that but we've had to kind of wait to build some defensive pieces around him like Tommy Asu and Ben White and maybe it's just the same for Edgard at the moment maybe um, you know, that, that next central midfielder and that next forward we buy, um, you know, because those are probably the next two positions that are coming up in the team, mm. will be able to build more towards someone like Erdegaard. But I kind of agree with Clive at the moment. Um, Lacazette's kind of doing it. But like I say, I do think Leicester found some spaces in that second half. I think Villa found some spaces in that formation as well. Yeah, on both occasions, <clears throat> we'd put the game beyond them by the time they did it. But those are all data points that our next opponents will be looking at. So we might have to be a bit a bit smart about how we use um, how and when we use this system. Yeah, well, we're going to spend a good chunk of this pod also praising Aaron Ramsdale. But in praising Aaron Ramsdale, we're going to have to talk a little bit about why we got in the position where he had to be praised as much as he was. So that that'll all tie in there. Um, I do think that. It's kind of funny that it's taken this long, but we finally found a way to have Aubameyang and Lacazette on the pitch together that I think genuinely emphasizes what both of them do well for the most part. Um, you know, I know Aubameyang scored a hell of a lot of goals cutting in from the left. So you could say, well, that that worked fine. I still think this role kind of looks natural. And Artetis, you know, was recently interviewed about Aubameyang, said, I like this Aubameyang. You know, this is my favorite Aubameyang. He's, you know, when he's running and working and pressing and doing all the hard work, he looks really engaged. I thought he had another really good game. Um, and and to be fair, a day when a couple of players could have been sent off for the opposition once again, and Aubameyang's in on goal, and it had to be really frustrating for anyone who watched the City game. Uh, they had a player sent off for a foul that was half of what Johnny Evans did to Aubameyang when he was in. It should have been a red card, in my view, and it's great center forward play. Pins him, rolls him, and he's away, but uh, doesn't get the call. Yeah, just a yellow card there, which seems like the wrong decision. But thankfully, doesn't punish us. Before we move on to that other stage of the conversation, though, Clive, uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, another goal. You know, it is it is so important that we find goals from other places than just Aubameyang. We know that Saka needs to add them. Lacazette can certainly get them. Uh, we got the goal goals off corner kicks are coming, which is great. But Emil Smith-Rowe seems like a player who is adding that late run in the box, that second-man run that I think has been missing from our game for a while. And while it's, you know, it's not a glazo or anything... It's well taken. He just seems to have a lot of composure in the box. I don't think he always gets his final ball right when he's attacking the box in terms of his distribution, but he does seem to have an eye for when to pop up in the box and score. I think another, not perfect game from Smith Rowe, but good game 
um, you know, on the ball, driving past players and, and creating a lot of danger. So in terms of where we get the extra end product from, how do you feel about, you know, Smith Rowe scoring that goal and his sort of penchant that he's developing for popping up into the box for those second balls? Yeah, I, I did listen to the last cast today and they did speak about Smith Rowe being Perez-like and, and I totally agree with that. And that is... That is a we could perfect, do that. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, that is a perfect description, and um, or Lundberg doesn't really matter really because similar the way he plays, he can do he can do the inside and outside job. And if I sort of explain this in the context of the front four, really, so if you if you look at the front four, you've got in Lacazette, Abamyang, Saka, and Smith Rowe, you've got two linkers and two stretchers. So you've got two guys that want to stretch the play, you know, Bamyang and and Saka. Although Saka can link as well. But he, they, they, they want to stretch. They want to go, right? So, and you've got two linkers, and Smith Rowe can link, and he can, when when Saka stretches, he links, and it's very, very nice balance. What Lacazette does different to Odegaard. Odegaard is always trying to find space between the lines. What Saka does smartly. Sometimes he starts, he starts high and he rolls in, so always looks free. So that extra exit confidence has really given us a new dynamic for me. Completely transformed us. So Smith Rowe's falling into a link role. He hasn't got to stretch the corner flags, although we know he can. We know that Saka can also link play, but we know he's happier bombing and stretching and running through. And Aubameyang now hasn't got to link play, although he can do it on occasions. But he hasn't got to do it. He hasn't got mm-hmm. to be the strong guy because someone else is there. So the eternal search for balance. We've found it. We've got the two young academy boys that can all roll back into a flat four as well. Don't mind working two ways because that's how they're brought up. But when we have the ball, they can link and stretch the play. And I think that balance is really key. We used to call it two plus two in our previous discussions, two scorers, two creators. But I think flip that to linkers and stretchers. I think that's given us balance and given us the exits. When we lose the exits, when we lose that solidity, that's when we lose the regain. And that's when we start to get teams transitioning on us into our broken play. And that's when teams are finding space. And so the challenge for us now, and for Smith-Rowe, and for Lacazette, is in the last the last quarter of the game, or for the team, can we have that solidity of link play continuously for 90 minutes, which allows us to control possession, which stops the transition, which stops people running into a disorganised Arsenal team, which ended up with a few shots on our goal. And I think for Smith-Rowe, I've been... I'm not where Tim was immediately with him. Someone has grown to me a little bit more. But... I'm starting to wonder, again, what we have here because his ability to feel the game is really, really good. You know, for a 20-year-old, it's really good. The end product stuff was always coming, not a surprise to me, but feeling the game at that age, understanding tactically what to do is really good for a young player, (laughs) really good. And his body's getting better. He played three games in a week. And though he never looks like he's bounding it into the game, he's not looking like he needs an oxygen tank neither like he used to last season. So there's still more to come from him. And yeah, I love the way he's meshed into this group now. And he, he can mesh into any group. And if we're really honest, since the moment he's arrived, the sun has shone on this team. Mm, yeah, you know, yeah, you're that's right. That's the truth. That, yeah. When he's been available, we've been good, basically. Basically, the sun has shot. It's, it's been more things, but from the moment he arrived, that Boxing Day game, the sun, if you look at our results since then, they're a lot better than they were when he wasn't in the team. So, yeah, top player, top player. Yeah, I I, I think one of the things that's also happening a little bit, because you have ML Smith-Rowe and Saka and this sort of natural 
comparison between the two or duality of the two, you know, the two academy studs that are coming through right now and a huge bright part of our future is that if one of them is sort of shining in a given moment, then the other one maybe is in that player's shadow. And Saka came in and was the dominant guy. And right now I think Smith Rowe's having a moment. And it's not that Saka's not playing well. I thought he was really good in this game. But so it's not really his moment. And I think we have to fight the urge to be like, oh, well, this guy's not doing well because this guy is. Like they they're both great. And we're lucky to have both of them. Um, so, Tim, I think you know one of the things that's been really fun to see in this last little run is that we've started pressing more. Mm-hmm. And it's it's yielding results. And we always talked about this, right? If we could just win the ball up the pitch a little more, put a little less pressure on ourselves to play back to front 50 passes to create the perfect goal, right? Or have to go the length of the pitch. What a difference it can make. And we're seeing that. Mm-hmm. But you can't press for the whole game. You can't. I mean, not not that aggressively. Maybe you can. Maybe if you, you know, if you're leads and you do murder ball, or if you're Klopp's gig and press, and you've really trained the players to it and gotten to them point fitness wise where they're ready and they know how to do what you can. But we're not we're not there yet. We could do it in bursts. Uh-huh. That doesn't mean that the alternative is sit with two banks of four within 18 yards of your goal and and just be pinned back. Now I want to be clear in how I talk about this. I don't think Leicester battered us. And Leicester are a good team, one of the best attacks in the Premier League. So you're not going to come through the game unscathed. They scored, what, five against United? Or was it 4-2? 4-2, four, four four yeah. 4-2, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I get it. Um, not that that's hard to do, by the way. LOL. Um, but I do think, whether it was the Brighton game or the Palace game or you know this game, stretches of a couple other games included in that, that there is a tendency for these players to get pushed back, compress those lines, and not have the exit, as Clive was talking about. And the alternative isn't, well, just press for 90 minutes. The alternative is just keep the ball a bit. Now, I want to be clear about something. This is not an Arteta thing, in my view, specifically, because Arteta has talked about how he wants them to push out more. You can see him exhorting exhorting them on the touchline to to expand, to get out. Um, He doesn't want this. I don't think any coach would say that. And when I say this, what I mean is, After the second goal, we went an hour with 29% possession. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying score two goals, keep the ball for an hour, and, you know, have all the ball and wipe Leicester off their pitch. I'm saying keep it a bit, right? 29% possession for an hour, that feels too passive, too deep. And I I think there's a happy medium where you, you should be able to keep it. And so I'm curious why you think we go through these periods, not necessarily where we wind up just so deep, but also where we can't get our foot on the ball and string passes together. Scott had a stat from a few games back. Um, I think it was the Palace game, actually, where after we had scored, we went a, a, a period of uh, uh, to, to halftime where we had like two sequences or three sequences with more than three passes. Mm. And that seems to be a persistent thing where we go through these periods where we can't string a couple passes together. And I, I know this is turning into a monologue, sorry, but, but I, I just, I find it weird because we have very technically gifted players really uh, throughout all phases of the pitch. So what do you attribute that inability to get control of the ball to? Because I can't really put my finger on it. So as as much as I said earlier, can you imagine like, uh, well, I didn't quite phrase it like that, but I think it's <clears throat> less likely with a player like Xhaka, for example, to be able to play like we did in the first 20 minutes of the last couple of games but this is probably where we miss him um just as someone to put their foot on the ball and maybe play those kind of all right we're two nil up passes you know where Mm -hmm. you can go sideways a bit and just kind of wear the opposition down a little bit as much as our front six is pretty front footed like I said there's not a great deal of control there 
Um, probably part is the closest. You know, the other players are young, Smith Rowe, Saka. Um, Abamyang's not a striker. I mean, strikers, it's very limited to how much they can control a game anyway, but like Abamyang's not the striker that's going to help you control the game per se. Mm. Um, and Lacazette, you know, runs out of beans pretty quickly. So I, I do think there's that element to it that we we've had this like really front-footed um, front six and and you know maybe like your Erdegaards your Xhaka's, um you know if you could do like rolling subs in football maybe you take like may, maybe on 20-25 minutes when it's 2-0 you take uh, you take Lacazette off and put Odegaard on and then maybe put like let Lacazette catch his breath and put him on again with half an hour to go um, so uh, I think it's probably a little bit maybe a lack of like those controlling players um, who can just take the sting out of a game and knock the ball around and do that kind of one-touch passing and triangles. Um, not least because in these last couple of games as well, we've become, you know, a, a fairly transition-y as well, mm-hmm. um, which which is a real change because we've been used to like really methodical build-up back to front. Um, so I, I think a little bit of it is just a learning curve. Like that that's that's the next stage, right? We didn't think that we were capable, well, not that we were capable, that we were willing to do what we've been doing the last couple of games and flying out of the blocks like that. So obviously the next stage is the okay, once once we you know, once we're two nil ahead, or even if we're not two nil ahead, because we're not gonna go two nil up every time we play like this mm-hmm. in twenty minutes. Um, you know how do how do we like how do we control a game? How do we get control back? How do we go in waves? And you referenced a couple of teams that that kind of really do the pressing and things like that. But look at Leeds this season. Like, I'm sorry, I I, I followed his career quite a lot. I, I love Marcelo Bielsa, I really do. But Bielsa burnout is a thing. Absolutely. It happens. Mm-hmm. It happens if he doesn't leave after three games. It happens everywhere he goes. It's that simple. And I know they've got a couple of injuries, but Leeds to me look like they've got Bielsa burnout. Um, and you know, with Liverpool with Klopp as well, they adapted. I was just about to say it. Yep, they they get it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like they completely adapted. Like they do not play like that every game anymore. In fact, I almost look at like Liverpool's kind of gegenpressing pressing as like a secret weapon that they bring. Well, not a secret because everyone knows it, but they kind of save it for the big games. I think. Do you remember um, last season, Tim? They started with this wacky high, uh, high, high defensive line thing yeah, and they weren't yeah. really pressing and people were like, what is this? And there were articles before the season even saying like the amount of football Liverpool have played at the intensity they have, burnout is coming and Klopp seemed to try to adapt to avoid yep. it to some extent. Yeah, yeah, and he brought in players like Shaqiri um, who was supposed to be, and, and I think was really like a plan B, more of a kind of controller, creative player. Tiago so, a bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So they, they've kind of not transitioned away from it, but they're looking for more controlling players now. And, and, and that's probably just the next step for Arsenal. We've got a couple of forwards who are in their 30s playing, and then we've, we've got like the other end of the scale um, out wide in Saka and Smith Row. And probably what we're missing more than anyone in that period of the game is a Xhaka figure, just that senior, slow things down, 90% passing um, kind of kind of individual. Because like Sambi's too too young um, to deliver that for you. That's not really who Thomas Party is either. So that I, I think that more than anything is what we're missing. But I do think there's a large extent to which it's just basic education. Yeah, um, Clive, this is 
this is the thing, right? I, I don't want anyone to hear this as we played poorly because we didn't. We went to Leicester. We took a 2-0 lead. We rode the storm. There were always going to be tough times. And, you know, largely, I don't have a problem with that. I think we controlled the game okay for a while. And then I don't know that we were necessarily controlling it so much. Um, so, no. you know, it, it is there is a fine line, right, between defending a lead and letting yourself get battered. And I think this started to trend to the latter a bit in the second half. And, you know, I have had some debates online with people talk about, you know, well, you can't press for 90 minutes or you expect us to have all of the ball. And I want to be clear, it's not all of the ball. It's some of the ball, right? It's, it's can you have a 10-minute period where you've got 60% possession so that you relieve that pressure a little bit? And, you know, that's something that we we always thought of Arsenal. You know, we never even took it for granted, right? We always, when, when Barcelona used to come to the Emirates in the, their heyday and have 65% possession, we were aghast. We'd never seen that. Now we've got games where for an hour, teams have 70, 71% possession. So it's just a little bit of getting used to it. And I'm curious how you look at that period and A, do you view it as critically? And B, you know, why you think it happens? Yeah, so I, I agree with Tim's point about Shaka. I think that's a, a he's a controlling player. And he has caused us a few issues on the press, but he just gives a level of control and his presence is missed. In the boring moments, we haven't got enough boring players. You know what I mean? We wanted send, we wanted people to pass forward, and now all our players want to pass forward at all times, which also gives the ball away. <laughs> so we need some square and backward passing when we're in control, and that is a tactical adaptation that comes with experience and time. All right. So I think there's, I know what you're saying, Elliot. Um, so really, let's get into solution mode. What what can we do to control the game in that when we're under a bit of pressure? And I think three ways to get over a press or around a press sorry it's through around or over we lose the ability to go sometimes over and sometimes through when teams really push on to us which Leicester did by taking players out and adding wingers and really pushing on although they had some spectacular saves and and shots a few of those outside the area I think there were two one from Lookman and one from Harvey Barnes are inside the box if I remember rightly, that were challenging, right? So that's the only time they ran through. On the Lookman one, party blocked off the back post, and so Ramsdale could take care of the near post. Easy save for him. On the Harvey Barnes one, I thought keeper was fantastic. I thought he rushed out, blocked out the light, and that was a that was a great save as they got the run on us. And I think Luke Thomas had a shot also that went past the post. So they're not we're not like letting people into our box too often. So that's not a bad thing. I think from I think a little bit further forward and actually in my brain and I'm thinking, okay, what can we do in the top end of the pitch? And and this is where I think when Lacazette runs out of steam, we just becomes harder to find. And as soon as we lose that ability to have three or four passes in the top end of the pitch, I think then we lose it. I think on one of those chances that Harvey Barnes had, we played it to Odegaard, he lost it on the touchline and they went straight through us. And so I think it's how we use our our substitutes going forward. And I think Odegaard is, for me, in this system, is is a lane four, lane five player rather than a lane three player in the number 10 in the central area. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see a bigger player like a Pepe, a stronger player who can hold the ball, who can be that guy who can get into the air. I'd like to see him come on so we continue a lot of what Lacazette provides us in the interior of the team. And some people will say, oh, Clive, he's not secure enough. 
He's not secure enough from the halfway line and gives the ball away. But I thought when he came on this game, he offered a bit of control. I agree. Mm-hmm. He's got a bit of trickery and ability and people step away from him. So if you're in solution mode, look at the players that you have and re and redefine them. And for people who are done with Pepe, I get it. But I can only look at the players that we have today. I think you're the guy who wins a ball in the air off the first ball, better than anybody in our team. And on in the interior, you turn into a different animal. On the exterior, he is he plays that role incorrectly for me. Much like Martinelli, they spend too much time in lane five. Smith, Rowe and Saka are in lane four, which means they can flip to three and they can flip to five. They're much smarter now they combine and how they move. It needs more IQ for me in the outside of the team and more raw talent and the uncoachable stuff in the interior of the team. And this is why I think Pepe could be used. This is why I think for this team and the intensity we're playing, Odegaard at this point in time could be a substitute in the lane four positions. Do you see what I mean? In the box positions that allows us to have an attacking mid slightly wider who can link and combine the play. So for me, that's where I'm looking. I think I again agree what Tim said, experience, riding the rough moments. I said in the instant reaction that we needed to go through this. This is very important for us to find out we can go through these darker moments when there are pinging shots on our goal. We come out the other side and the confidence gained will be massive for those individuals because they know they can do it. Before this game started, the fact that I didn't think Arsenal would go to Leicester and impose their game on them immediately, that alone is a huge step forward. The fact we rode out the dark moments as well and come away with a clean sheet, a 2-0 away win, clapped away fans, go home, brilliant. This is a big day for us. This really is a big day for our psychology and our thought process going forward. A big day. We've achieved something. The next thing now is a boring home win against Watford to accumulate points and have a breather before we go to Anfield. And I think solutioning this, that period, which is is important, which you've highlighted it, I think that's the key thing for the coaching staff in the next few days because managing those moments is is the key for this team going forward because we seem to have found some offensive explosion and confidence. Yeah, and like it, it... It's interesting. There's one thing I picked out from Scott's by the numbers column for Ars blog that I thought was relevant to this discussion, you guys, which is that uh, Arsenal's long passes, greater than 30 yards, uh, we completed 44% of them. 84 long passes, only 37 completed. And most of those were in that period where we we really didn't have a lot of control. You know, again, I, I hate to keep referencing that Klopp comment after the the city game but he talked about how when you get pushed back that much sometimes you stop playing the football and you just want the ball away from your goal and you want that safety and i do think that we have young players new players you look at who's in this team a young sambi lakanga young Tavares, young uh tomiyasu you know young and new benjamin white and young and new aaron ramsdale and still relatively young gabriel and i mean at, at every position these guys are you know probably a little bit prone to saying, hey, we're winning away, we're getting pushed back, get it away from our goal. I think a little bit more patience and willingness to ping passes between one another and and get it out. The other reason I think that this we struggle with this too is when those lines get compressed as much as they do, Clive, like when the midfield line and the back line are so close together and so compressed, you really can't pass your way out because one opposition player can mark two guys. You know what I mean? Can 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 get in front of the space and there's no exit. Like I think you need distance between your lines to play through the lines, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think on top of that, I agree with you. On top of that, I, I don't know 
if Tim Tim notices at the ground, but I've only, I've only rewatched it once, and I was just smiling. I didn't really see it clearly. <laughs> so, but I thought Lacazette and Aubameyang came very deep to win the ball. Yeah, they, they did. to win mm-hmm. tackles, you know. And I was cheering for it, like, "Ah, oh, brilliant! What a great example, great leadership." But we all know that there's no one else up front now. So when we do win it, what happens now? We go long, you know, we go long and we go into areas where someone's isolated or someone's not there. But we did that to ride out the moments, right? You need to see moments off. Every team will have their period. You need to see it off however you can. No one cares when the, when it says nil. No one mm-hmm. cares. And and Aubameyang and Lacazette, they didn't wait. They didn't say, well, I'm a forward, I'm not coming back. They saw it, they came back and they won it. Of course, it didn't lead to any sort of retention of the ball, but it kept a clean sheet. So it's a, it's, it's a tough one, mate. It's one to, you know, when I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rewatch this one again and, I'll, and I'll, I'll come back to you on that one. But yeah. Mm, okay, well, let's do this. Let's, um, let's talk about the GOAT because I think even waiting one more minute to praise the GOAT, to celebrate the GOAT, would be one minute too long. And of course, when I'm talking about the GOAT, you don't need me to tell you this, I'm talking about the Lawnmower 4.0 from Manscaped, the absolute best, the finest, the most wonderful body trimmer you can possibly own. And Manscaped now has launched two new products, an ultra-premium body wash and a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. And this is it. Look, you got a way to trim your body hair, way to trim your ear and nose hair, a way to keep everything smelling good, feeling good, clean. I mean, it's just... Total body pampering. And you reduce nicks and you use it in the shower and the battery life is long. And it's just an absolute pristine piece of equipment designed to do its job better than anything else on the market. That's the goal there. Uh, I do have new copy that was sent. And as you know, we like to focus on the Manscaped copy that they sent me because sometimes there's stuff in there. The last one introduced us to the concept of pants pumpkins. They are already rolling out the holiday copy. Guys, it is way too early for the holiday copy. I mean, Halloween was last night. But uh, this one, let's see if there's anything really uniquely fun. Ah, here's one. It's, yeah, untrimmed pubes are a thing of the past, and it's possible you have Santa's beard in your pants. Now, that could be because you haven't trimmed, or it could be because Santa's in your pants. In which case, I hope you're having fun. Jingle balls to the walls, fellas, is another one that's in here. So there's always some gold in this copy, and I'm glad we can share it. Um, and also slightly cringy, but you know what? Don't let that take away from what they're really good at, which is making incredible products. You can get 20% off and free shipping with code ArsenalVision at manscaped.com. Promo code ArsenalVision, manscaped.com, 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Oh gosh, the last line of this. Clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. It, you know, I feel like we always keep this highbrow above, above board. Maybe you disagree, but the stuff that is in the copy... There is a reason I haven't been reading it. Uh, Anyway, yeah, this is the good stuff. You want to get it. If you haven't done it already, it's a perfect, perfect holiday gift. I know it is way too early to be talking about that. But manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision, 20% off free shipping. It's almost uh, Thanksgiving season here in America, and it's a time when a lot of people go back home and see uh, past flames that they haven't seen in years. And maybe it's time to rekindle those flames. Uh, You want to be ready for that. Anyway, uh, enough of that. Clive, is that enough? Yes, please. If I get one of these, will you stop doing these adverts? Just, <laughs> just sign up for Patreon, man. We've got ad-free versions on the Patreon. You know that. I am a patron. Okay. Nah, yeah, you better be. <laughs> you better be. Because there is A-plus content there. Like uh, your rewatches, I would recommend you watch one. You do a brilliant job on them. Okay, enough of that. Um, Let's get to the actual GOAT, all kidding aside. Tim, Aaron Ramsdale, good at the football. Um, yeah. it, is, it is such a delight when someone can come in 
and not just overturn, you know, the narrative and the expectation around a signing. I mean, look, I, you guys know that I've never been huge on goalkeepers and the impact of goalkeepers. I think you need a good one, but that's just about it. It's never been a priority area for me. But when they come in and have this kind of dominant personality, it's funny. He's just a fun guy. The time when he did the long kick and celebrated with the Leicester fans and, you know, throw, giving his shirt and his pants and his gloves and his everything to the fans after the game, he's really taken to life at Arsenal, quite obviously, which is beautiful to see. But that stuff would all be sideshow nonsense if it weren't for how he's playing. Yep. I don't know which we should focus on more. Things like the stunning free kick save or things like the stunning sidewinder long kick up the pitch, you know, the, the varied distribution. The saves are great. The distribution, I mean, there was a period, to be fair, as the game wore on where maybe he went long ineffectively a few times. But, Tim, he is, um, he is making a difference. And mm-hmm. the camaraderie of the back five just seems seems fantastic. And, and even when Leno was playing short a lot, it wasn't varied, right? It was just knock it to the center back two yards away and hope it goes well from there. This is this is a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah, it is, absolutely. And um, it's funny, you know, because I always have this thing about people undervaluing introverts. Um, people always think there's something wrong with you if you're introverted or that there's something they've got to change in you. And actually, introverts are very, very valuable, um, I say as an introvert myself. Yeah, me too. Um, but <laughs> but I, I think, um, I, I guess building on what Clive was saying earlier, like this team, just the, the balance between introverts and extroverts wasn't right um, because you need both, right? Um, you need both in pretty much any workplace, I think, but certainly in a sports team. And what we had was we just didn't quite have the balance right there. And we've brought in, um, you know, Ramsdale very much an extrovert and uh, I was listening to David Seaman on the Arscast on Friday and he was talking about look you look at the best two goalkeepers you know when I was around it was me and Peter Schmeichel completely different like completely different personalities but we were both at the top of our game for very different reasons and actually for David Seaman who as a goalkeeper was more um, I'm not sure introverts the right word but you know calm composed whatnot and he was playing behind the back four he was playing behind and he kind of said I didn't really need to do that much talking or shouting to be honest behind that back four it was it was much more you know just about kind of holding my position and making interventions where needed and he said like Leno's a lot more like me and he said like but Ramsdale's much more like Schmeichel was and and that's that's I think like Arsenal need whether whether it was in goal or somewhere else on the pitch. Um, I'm I'm not really decided on whether the fact that Ramsdale's the goalkeeper and 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 you know is quite extroverted or whether if we'd have just bought a midfielder um, like that, um, whether that would have made a difference. Whether it had just been anywhere in the team, but I, I think I think Arsenal did need a character like that somewhere and probably in that back line because it's all quite new. Um, and when you look at them, like, you know, a lot of them haven't been there for very long. So does like Tommy Asu or Ben White or even Tierney, do they feel like they can yell at each other yet? So having a guy behind them who will yell at them um, probably has some value. It, it just like creates a bit of a balance, particularly in that back five unit. Um, and and yeah, absolutely. His long distribution, I mean, he he should have either set up a goal or a red card. Uh, because mm-hmm. that long kick for Aubameyang, um, how that wasn't given as a red card, I really don't understand the justification for that. But I mean, the, the one given in the City game is not as bad. <laughs> you know, yeah, 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 yeah. But you know that that kind of that Edison style kick. You know that kind of okay. If you're going to press our centre halves, 
I can go over the top of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, Aubameyang can run in behind. And so uh, particularly, uh, he can definitely run in behind Johnny Evans, who's a good defender, but not very fast. No. So the, he, he has brought something beyond just the saves. And, and I don't even just mean like the connection with the fans and things like that, like that stuff is important, but he's brought something beyond all of that. I think, and I think the distribution is a big part of it. And it's not just the distribution in and of itself, but like there's a bravery in it with the way he does it. Like there's a hell of a lot of personality in those passes. They're not just good passes. It's very, I'm going to do this. And that sets a standard, that sets a tone. That's kind of, if I'm playing that pass, you can play that part. You can play that risky pass. You can play that line-breaking pass. Like it just raises the standard slightly for what's expected. And um, you know, you look at someone like Gabriel. I think his distribution's definitely improved. Albeit, I think a lot of that's because Xhaka's not in front of him, um, which is not to blame Xhaka. It's just you know, if you're the left centre half and Xhaka's there, you defer to him. Whereas without him, he's had to be a bit more. Um, mm-hmm do a bit more on the ball and and I just think particularly having that at the back of the team just having that guy that says I'm I'm doing this I'm playing that that pass and you can hear in the crowd as well when he plays it you get that kind of that intake of breath and it's not just because it's a mixture of reasons it's because the pass is good it's because it's brave but also what's really clever about some of those passes particularly the ones that go across the ground is no one sees them that's why everyone gasps because everyone's like, I don't know, your eye is just trained when the goalkeeper gets the ball and you either look at your centre backs or, you, you know, you look at your back four because you think, okay, he's either going to roll it to the back four or he's going to smash it to the striker. Those are the only two things a goalkeeper tends to do. So when he then plays it like often along the ground, off into midfield, into the centre circle, it, it takes you by surprise. And you can tell it takes the opposition by surprise as well, because it's almost like, um, I know Paul's fond of that gorilla uh, analogy in basketball, you know, the the kind of optical illusion mm-hmm. where, <laughs> um, where I, I'm not going to explain this very well, but just like Google gorilla basketball optical illusion, because it's absolutely amazing. Because all of a sudden you look and you go, oh yeah, there's an enormous 50 yard like red carpet between the goalkeeper and the center spot. How did that happen? And the opposition goes, oh wow we've all been so focused on marking the centre-backs and the full-backs that we've just left that enormous space and it just I think it just gives the team something it just gives them that little bit of impetus and and yeah of course he's making like some pretty good saves as well because he's just fearless and I think a goalkeeper should have that element of fearlessness so you know he could have been the, the free kick the Madison free kick very similar to Erdgaard's free kick at Burnley what happened at Burnley? Keeper rooted to the spot, watches it go in. Whereas Ramsdale kind of goes, no, I'm going to throw myself at it. I might not get it, but I'm going to throw myself at mm-hmm. it. And um, and he gets rewarded in that scenario. And yeah, just a, just a fantastic moment. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I, I don't know which martial art it is. I'll say one and it'll be wrong. Maybe it's jujitsu, but there's like one of the martial arts where what you're doing is you're using the other person's momentum against them. Yeah. Right? Um. And I think there's something to that in football because in football, you have a pattern of play and the other team adapts to it. And in adapting to it, they leave a different thing open. And so you have to use what they're giving you against them. And I think with Leno, what we saw is we persistently went short, period. And when teams knew we were going short, we still went short. And it didn't work. 
and we didn't do anything else. And what Ramsdale does is, to your point, if they're going to step up and mark the center backs, we're going to go over the top and fade it to the fullbacks making a run or, you know, put Aubameyang in with a sidewinder bullet or, you know, play it right to the feet of Saka in the right half space at the halfway line. Like, whatever the case is, using the opposition's moves against them by playing into what they're leaving available. And we just did not do that enough with Leno, and I think Ramsdale does it as uh, as well as can be asked for. So, Clive, it's funny, right? I think one of the reasons I haven't been as high on goalkeepers, it is sort of my idea in the back of my head that 95% of goalkeepers all make the same saves. Sometimes they look more spectacular than others, but most of them make the same saves. Um, And I actually think it's the other stuff they do, their personality, their relationship with their back line, their distribution that really separates them. Like Ederson and Allison, like sure, they make good saves. When When I say the name Ederson, it's not saves that jump to mind. Hell, City concede like three shots a game. It's playing with the ball at his feet, distribution, sort of the same thing with Allison. And so I do tend to do that. And like, the fact is though, every once in a while, keepers will make the kind of saves and go on the kind of run of saves that remind you that that can still be a unique skill where they can separate. And this was a game where I think Ramsdale flashed all of the skills, but certainly that free kick save and the subsequent follow-up really sensational. And I think maybe it was the Harvey Barnes chance where he's in. He deserves credit for the way he he blocks all the available space. He's just on an incredible run of looking really confident in everything that he's doing. So, I mean, as as picturesque and exciting as the save was, do you think that it's the other things about his game that are really making the bigger difference? Or, or does that overlook just how sensational some of his shot stopping is? Yeah, his shot stopping is, is there for all to us to see. I think... Tim's point about his passing, I think what he's added is a level of disguise, really. And I, even sitting on my set on Saturday, that one went down the middle. I, I couldn't see it coming, and it was just there. You know, so he's just disguising the pass down. There was one he gave away, and Ian Nacho had the shot. He flicked onto the post. So there's risk associated to this, and it's only a couple of games ago, the Palace game on the uh, Edward shot, when potentially it was a little bit narrow, not quite close to his post. He's got beaten over his head. There will be moments. But what he has done very cleverly, and this is what I like about him, is his his ability to compete for his shirt. He's just developed a relationship with his whole back four. And so he's got them all working with him. So they're now a unit. I never felt that with Leno. I felt he's an excellent goalkeeper who got voted man of the match versus Leeds, by the way. Had an excellent game, was really sharp. But he he seems to be a a goalkeeper that's on his own. He doesn't. He doesn't seem to develop the same rapport with the the back four, and he certainly doesn't do it with the crowd behind him per se. You know, he, he's he's a bit more insular, and he just does his job. In the, and he's a very good goalkeeper. Make no mistake. But this guy, you're getting you're getting a back five with him. Him and his centre backs are total communication, totally engaged with each other. When there's a tackle, when there's a moment, they're all together. They're all in it. And that's what we want. They're all getting their clean sheet bonuses. Trust me. That's exactly what you want is that unit. And and that's when you get a winning side from, from a unit within the team that plays together and that really has the same common goal. And I think he has slow... I never said that before he arrived. And it's an obvious thing to say now we see it. But he's come in and recognised, this is what this team needs. This is who I am. I'm going to be myself. And I'm bringing them all with me. And, and I love that about him. I love his intelligence to read the room, understand what's required, and play accordingly. And again, after Leno played so well against Leeds, 
the very next game, he comes out and has a sensational game. That ability to compete and, and say, this is my shirt, I'm owning it, you're not getting it. That's a great thing for a 22-year-old to have, whatever he is, 22, 23. Can't speak high enough of him, and um, I don't think anybody could read the emotional impact he's had on the team and on the supporters, you know, and they all love him, you know, and it's uh, yeah, it's really great to see, right? So young people surprise you sometimes, they really do. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think the only thing that you could say when it comes to football opinions is like, keep having them. That's the fun of sports. Sports wouldn't be fun if we didn't have opinions and express them, but like, stay open-minded. You always say that, Clive, right? Like, be patient, stay open-minded. There's nothing wrong with expressing your opinion, but be keep open an open learn. mind. About, yeah. Be yeah. open to, I remember, you, I remember this, when Emery was on board, remember when he was on board? Mm-hmm. And he was in the 22-game run? And I was buzzing. And you kept saying to me, Clive, the underlying data doesn't look good. He doesn't look, okay, don't be so stupid. It's just 18 games, mate. What's up with you? <laughs> and I realized then there's another, there's another way. So be open to another way, you know, another way of looking at things. If you're not sure about goalkeeper, don't, don't, don't say nothing. Just go and have a look, <laughs> do yeah. some work. Well, and I, I want to add to that. Too. Yeah. The, the one thing I'll say, and, and Tim, you can certainly weigh in on this if you want. I think the other hard thing with goalkeeper is, in my view, it is the absolute hardest position in all of football to analyze accurately, to get your evaluations right, to really know what the hell you're talking about because a lot of how a keeper distributes the ball is based on system and the team he plays in. You know, for example, Leno played short more than any team, any keeper in the Premier League. Does that mean he's the best short passer? Not remotely. While Ramsdale launched the ball more than any keeper in the Premier League. Does that mean he can't pass other ways? Well, we've seen very clearly that's not the case. Um, I also think that shot stopping is... Certainly there's technique to it, but there's also streakiness to it. I mean, how do you explain David De Gea being the best keeper in the world than being awful, than being great again? How do you explain Chelsea getting it so wrong with Kepa, but so right with Mendy? These are tough positions to analyze. And so maybe more than any other position, you have to keep an open mind because, I mean, look, we are a club that signed Runnerson, granted for a nominal fee to be, you know, a backup's backup, fine. But like, now we're the club that signed Leno, who I thought was quite good, let's be honest, he was. And we signed Ramsdale, who looks amazing. So Tim, this is... This is a position of high variability, a really hard one to get right, and it looks like we've gotten it massively right. And Maybe it's a reminder that specifically with goalkeepers, you probably just don't know what the hell you're talking about at any moment. Not you, but all of us, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and it's um it's the sort of position where uh, this sounds really obvious, sorry, but like you can't hide a player there. Like if you buy a central midfielder that's a bit you know, that isn't quite what you wanted. Six you out of put, ten, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you can put another midfielder next to them or maybe you can put them in another position or maybe you just sit them on the bench and bring them off the bench. Like goalkeeper, it, it really is shit or bust stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you, you know, you're right to point out that there probably isn't a logical reason that, like, Kepper didn't work out at Chelsea, for example. Like, there's there's probably no logical reason for that. I'm sure that, like... I'm sure that Chelsea would have used like data and and maybe this is one of the other issues. I mean, maybe because like goalkeeper analytics aren't quite there yet, but they're probably, (laughs) yeah, but they're probably not quite there because it's really difficult. (laughs) It's really, really difficult to do. It's really difficult to access uh, to, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, there are a lot of just intangibles um, in the position like aura um and like calmness and how calm do you make your defense and and things like that and because like you can measure catches and saves but there's there's a bit more to being a goalkeeper because it's such an isolated position 
it's it's so much different like there is no deferring to your central midfield partner or you know we've probably all done that at work right when maybe you're on a project or something and there's someone there's someone on your like your team that's like a little bit better or a little bit more conscientious than you and you just kind of go yeah i'll let them do all the work that'll be fine I don't know what you're talking about. Certainly have not experienced that as the host of a podcast with very intelligent people on it. No, no idea what you mean at all. Yeah. And and it's, you know, like you can defer or you can have like, um, you know, when I've worked in an office and stuff, you can have your hangover days where maybe you just send a couple of emails and you can probably do that in like, not that often at the elite level, but you can have your hangover I'm just going to send a few emails today and not do anything serious. You can't do that in goal. Like you have to be on it all the time. And it was interesting as well, listening to David Seaman talk on, on the Askcast again, like about the mentality side for a goalkeeper. And one thing that really struck me this summer, I really, really loved this clip and this moment. And it's such a shame, not just because I'm English, but it's such a shame that it didn't amount to anything. But when Jorginho stepped up and he had to score to win, I just loved the little clip of Jordan Pickford and he just claps his hands together and he just goes, no problem, no problem. And he saves it. And, and of course, like England missed the next penalty. So it's like, it doesn't really matter anymore, but I, I don't, I don't know what it is. I just, I just love that kind of, that, that psychology psychological of warfare yeah <laughs> yeah yeah particularly when you're a goalkeeper and you're all on your own and the odds are massively stacked against you like the odds are really stacked against goalkeepers like it, it's the position on the pitch like i often think about um, which you know if if completely randomly like say i had to play an arsenal game where would they put me like where's the most out of the way place they could put me like I don't know, fullback maybe, play a back five or like where could they hide me? And I I often think about like how hard it is to be a goalkeeper. Like when you, if you've ever done it in like full size goals, I mean, I'm I'm not, you know, I'm like five foot nine, so I was never going to be a goalkeeper. But do you know how fucking massive those goals are? (laughs) Even when you haven't got like pros who can, pin like ping it in the top corner like honestly when you play in full-size goals against a goalkeeper who isn't like a pro you don't have to hit the corner just like don't hit it down the middle and you'll probably score goals are massive and so the amount of work like physical work as well that goalkeepers have to do to be able to fill and command that space is absolutely incredible and some of the physical feats as well that you need and obviously the mental side of it because you're not you're not as involved in the game necessarily so there's there's just there's so much that goes into it that i think is really really difficult to pin down and like your response to mistakes and things like that and you know and and it's very very difficult to get a measure of that stuff and one of the the ways that clubs like arsenal have suffered and plenty of other clubs like because you look at that mid-table goalkeeper that looks quite good, and he probably is quite good, but you just don't quite know until you buy him, until you buy Richard Wright. You know, Man U went for Mark Bosnich when Schmeichel retired, and Mark Bosnich would have consistently been one of the best keepers in the Premier League. Not a Man United, he wasn't. Like it's very, very difficult to make that judgment because a lot of goalkeepers, probably more than any other position, have the talent, but can they adjust to you know, the amount of saves they have to make and the mental side of it is very, very difficult, I think. Yeah, and I mean, all you have to look at, look, 
I, people know that soft factors aren't my favorite thing. Being a goalkeeper is like 99% mental. It really, because they're all good. I mean, obviously you have to be good first, but then like, look, there are heartbreaking examples. Like look at Loris Carius, what happened to him, right? Uh, the errors, wasn't he the one who made the errors in the Champions League final? Yeah, and yeah. Like, good, good goalie, crumbled. but yeah. yeah. And then crumbled. Um, and I mean, David Ospino was a guy that we got who just seemed to like lose his mind from time to time, do crazy things that don't make a lot of sense. I just, I think it is, it is a position where, You've got to have such a mentality. Because the other thing is like, and this is maybe why signing these keepers who get relegated or, or get battered can be good. Because like, what happens to a keeper when 50 goals go past them in a season? 70 goals go past them in a season. Like, you could be like, well, that means they're shit. Well, they also could have saved hundreds of shots in that season. Like when you play for Sheffield United and the team is terrible and you can see a mountain of goals, the one thing you can say is, you've got to have a rock solid mentality to be watching that amount of goals go past you every week and still pull, pull yourself up, believe in your talent, save the ones that can be saved, right? Be named player of the season for teams that are conceding an avalanche of goals. There is a strength that comes with that versus someone like an Ederson who's like 15 goals go past him in a whole season. Would he work at a, at a Watford? Probably not, right? So th- th- this, this is all very complicated. And I, I think whatever the the calculus is it has produced the right solution for us with Ramsdale and a guy that feels like he belongs at Arsenal wants to be at Arsenal. Leno was a player of the season for us, but like there is something about the way Ramsdale wants to be a part of this that I don't think we ever had with Rams with, with Leno. And so it's great to see Clive. I want to pick a few more bones out of this one though. And there's an issue that's coming. I want to just touch on this really quickly. There are two players, Tavares and Sammy Lakanga who look like they're going to have their position held down for a little while longer. I, I think Tierney's not running yet. Is that what the update was? And we don't know when he's going to be back. Maybe soon, maybe not. You know, Shaq is still quite a bit away. These two players have the chance to make a position their own. That's how it works, right? You just need an opening. I mean, it was Debushi gets injured from a bad challenge against Stoke. Was it Arnanovic, I think? And, yep. and Hector Bellerin becomes the guy and was very good for years. Um... That maybe is happening with Tavares right now. That's probably an overstatement, to be fair. But like, I definitely think he is catching the eye and playing at a level that maybe we didn't think he was ready for. So I'm curious with these two players, maybe more Tavares than Sambi. Is it a guarantee that Tierney walks back into the team? I'm not saying Tavares has been, you know, oh, two, two games, he's a world beater. But he's certainly added something. And I don't think it is a foregone conclusion that he can't at least put himself in the frame for this to be his position, at least you know, a consideration. Yeah, he's like an Alfonso Davies lookalike and he plays like him and he just mm. brings a lot of bombastic qualities you can't miss. Ooh, right? there's a and good good uh, five-star word. I love yeah, it. Yeah, but you can't miss him. Right? Everything is just so extra. And um, uh, there was one run he made late in the game, I don't know, it must be 80-odd minute, and Smith Road went the other way. And uh, If he just reverse passes, he's in on goal. When he made a run from the left-hand side, he... I think he played in Saka or Lacazette on the right, and he was thinking about a shot on his right foot. The fact he can shoot from his right foot for 25 yards tells me that somebody has scouted him absolutely excellently. And it was interesting when we got him, there was a bit of Benfica fan feedback saying he's a bit of a wrong and Well, I can't see it yet. You know, people say, oh, he looks a bit raw. Well, he's raw. But he runs out of the wind, can jump out of, the, jump out of his boots into the sky. 
he's two-footed. He can travel with it. He's an ex-winger, so he can stop, start, step over, go around you, cross it. He can chop inside, right foot, shoot. There's just a lot of raw materials to work with. And I, one thing I do guarantee, whether Kieran Tierney will guarantee to get back in or not, uh, what's going to happen with a 21-year-old? He's going he's gonna to have a dip some, at some point. And this is just a much better position to be in with people competing against each other. We've seen it with the goalkeeper situation. It lifts the levels of the position. And this is exactly what we want in other areas. So we do need a centre-back to come in and really push the, the two that are looking peerless at the moment. Because when Gabriel went down, we were all thinking, oh my goodness, this is a problem. Right? We don't want to feel like that. You know, we want Liverpool have reacted to Van Dyke's injury and bought in Canate, right? They can't feel like that again. They need lost their Champions League position. They managed to recover it. You can't be that exposed. The gap in quality is too great. And so that I'm not worried about the left back. That'll sort itself out. It really will, Elliot. And I think Kirantini will say, you know what? I need to step up now. I need to step up and, and raise my game. That's only going to be good for all of us. We need a few more. We need a, we need another right back, I'm afraid, to come in and what we did with Hector Bellin was actually the wrong thing to do because he was the guy and we never gave him the guy to allow him to rest. And I felt we overplayed him. I think it was a major factor in his Arsenal career ended in a bit of a flat line. You know? So I think we must make sure we have these good quality backups to allow these guys to have their dips, have their moments, and, and someone else come in and completely keep our levels high. Whoever comes out on top comes out on top and we, and we go from there. Yeah. What about you, Tim? I mean, these are two positions. It's funny, right? Because I think there's a lot of people very excited about Tavares, myself included, that might be getting a little carried away where he is in his development. Um, there are a lot of people maybe less excited about Sammy Lukanga, not because he's not playing well, but just because Tavares has been a bit more eye-catching, but who might have stronger opinions about who they want to start when the sort of nominally first-choice guy comes back from injury. So Tavares maybe more eye-catching Sambi Lakanga doing enough to maybe make make the argument? What do, you, what do you think of these the future of these positions? Yeah, look, Tavares um, looking very good to me. Um, I, one thing I, I, I thought this um, looked like a, like, you know, a, a nice controlled performance as well from him, like um, that I possibly hadn't seen before, like from a very small sample size, admittedly. One bit I loved in the first half was when he drove inside um, and he kind of because he got the ball out on the left flank, but then he he kind of made a beeline inside and ended up running towards the centre of the goal. And we've seen that run a couple of times because he can go on his right foot. You know, sometimes the pitch just opens up for you um, when you know the ball's out wide, and mm. it it can be quite easy to defend one-footed players because you know they're they're going to go in one direction, but. He kind of he just he saw a gap and he went for it and all of a sudden it travelled right to the edge of the area and and that, and you know look that's something Tierney doesn't have um, at the moment it's that simple so if you're looking to take a place off of someone who's you know quite well established find something you can do that they can't and that's some, that's something I'm not saying on that basis alone he must now play ahead of Tierney and I do think. Um, you know, perhaps it's been a little bit overstated, perhaps the extent to which Tierney hasn't done it yet this season. I just think like the expectations are sky high. Um, you know, he's a fullback at the end of the day. Like he can't be like making and scoring goals for us all the time. Like the, the fullback role is much more about stretching teams and 
um, and, you know, creating threat. And I, I still think he does that. I'm, I'm not saying to the best of his ability, but I think he's done that a little bit better than people have, have kind of, like, I, I think what Tin is maybe suffering from is the, like, you know how it goes with players when there's a lot of hype and you go, oh, wow, this player's absolutely amazing. He's the next, next captain. He's the best player. And then very quickly that turns into when it's like, when it goes down one or two percent, it's, oh God, this guy's not doing it. Maybe he shouldn't play anymore. And and, and I, I don't think either was true about Tierney. I think it was a little bit, people were too high on him um, and now people are too low on him. He's still a really, really good fullback who does good. a brilliant, brilliant job. Um, but Taver- what Tavares is showing is that at the moment he's, he's not going to be like one of those useless backups that you go, oh my God, Oh my God, Tin is out. We can't play this clown. Like he's absolutely fine there. And if 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 he continues like this, then he creates the conversation about whether he keeps his place. And that's that's absolutely great. And uh, yeah, he's he's been he's been. I, I won't go as far to say as a, a revelation, but I don't feel like we've missed Tierney that much. And that's that's saying a lot because Tierney is one of is one of like um you know he's one of the. I guess the generals of the team and Sambi Lakonga as well. Really nice player. Really, really kind of coming along. Like I said, I, I still think maybe in those moments when the game's going against you um, or the other team's got momentum, like that's maybe what, where he's got a bit of a learning point, but I just love his bravery on the ball. I love the way he gets on the ball. I love the way he can go both ways. I love that little feint he's got as well to get him away from trouble or or just sometimes just to move a marker. You know, you've got someone blocking a, a passing lane and you do a little shimmy and you move them. Like, he's got that as well. Like, he clears passing lanes for himself uh, to kind of pass through the lines. So I, I, I've really, really enjoyed him. I, I think you can still see with both of these players, they're not there yet. Um, mm-hmm. But what we're also seeing is that we're not talking about enormously missing the players they're coming in for and that's exactly what you want and even if they don't really get much better which you'd expect them to given their age that that's still good they're good backups that's good and you know good backups who are like 20 21 years old that's good and you think they can get better as well and maybe they can take this place off of the player ahead of them yeah it's great i mean i i Sometimes I I overfixate and stress on the players that aren't playing or oh you know what are we going to do about this guy that's good because now we have two guys that are good and like that's actually not bad so don't don't stress about sometimes like <laughs> all the time I stress about everything all the time. Um, Can I just add one thing on Tierney? Yeah, I was about to give us something else to stress about, I, but go for it. Sure. I think um, Tierney he didn't have you know he had a bit of a, a short summer break and he come back early because Arsenal were playing Rangers, right? So he wanted to play in that game. Then he starts the season, obviously, we're, we're in a bit of a stress moment and he has international breaks, of which he plays every minute of every game because Scotland are right in the mix for a World Cup qualifying place. So he's had to play all the 90s, three in the first one and two in the next one, most of our games. And... And then he slowly, he's run, he was running out of steam before he eventually got injured. We could all see that. And I think managing him is really important. As soon as he has a chance to sit on his ass and get on the sunbed and get the factor 50 out, the player will come back. The problem is he never seems to want to do that. He wants to train a million miles an hour. I think he needs managing. I think it's important because his only issue is, for me is injury and fatigue. I think the way he plays and the way he trains, he just always looks on the edge of fatigue. 
And I think he needs to be managed carefully, and Tavares allows us to do that. The backup strategy is working very, very nicely so far. Yeah, yeah, no, no complaints there. And I mean that—that's what it should do. And you would love your ideal situation is you need to use your backups, and you do, and they make a case for taking the starting position. Like that is the dream scenario. Um, well, as it stands now, we are in a very interesting position. We are level on points with United at seventeen, just three off third, Man City in third and West Ham in fourth on 20 points, just five off Liverpool on second, and just the eight off Chelsea. I'm not saying we're going to win the title, but I think it's an expectation we should have, and if we don't meet it, we should be very upset. I'm kidding. But it is exciting. It is it is exciting. And I, I think, you know, we talked about this on an instant reaction pod. I think we even talked about this on the last regular pod. Maybe, maybe not. I You know what? So many pods. Um... I think what we really want as fans is to be able to look at the table and have dreams about what the season can still deliver. And those don't even have to be title dreams. Hell, going into the season, I think a lot of us just wanted to be Europa League dreams. But to be sitting here, you know, after the start we had, 10 games through the season, really more than a quarter of the way through the season, looking at fourth place and saying, that can be ours. That's right there for us. That makes everything else easier. If the football isn't perfect, if there are things we're still working on, if a player isn't in great form, when you're ninth, when you're 10th, when the season feels sort of pointless, all of it's aggravating. But when there's still something to dream about, when there's still something on the table, that changes it. And it certainly makes it easier to be patient and, quote, trust the process when the process looks like it still could yield something really special. You know, we have uh, Sunderland in the League Cup. So that's a trophy that, you know, is still on. Now, there's a lot of, you know, challenging opposition still in that in that tournament. But, yep, that's still on. FA Cup still to come. And, and fourth place is within striking distance. And West Ham look great right now. But, you know, with Europa League and the size of their squad, that could change. Um, you know, we'll see how it goes. And, and this is maybe the season where, like Clive said, not having to play midweek will really come back and help us. But we have to touch on one thing before we go. Unfortunately, Tim, like... You know, laughing at United is great, but have you tried laughing at Spurs? That's the way I look at it, right? If ever I was going to be happy about United winning something 3-0, it would be beating Spurs. It keeps Ole in the job. They've got a hard run coming up. They're going to drop more points. Spurs losing is always funny, but not as funny when it means that their mediocre manager gets sacked and replaced by Antonio Conte. (laughs) Looks like 20 million pounds, so they are really ready to just start splashing the cash. I don't know where to come down on Conte because I don't love his football particularly but I can't deny his pedigree and his quality. This is not another Jose Mourinho situation because that's a guy I think we all knew was past his best, totally washed, and you know we expected him to fail. I don't think we feel that way about Conte, but he's sort of been a checkbook manager to some extent. You know, There is a real question still about whether Kane wants to be there. I mean, inject into my veins. If you can find a way to liquefy Spurs fans booing Harry Kane and inject it into my veins, it's all I would need to keep going for years. But like, this is a situation that could get serious pretty quickly. Spurs, as bad as they've been, only two points behind us, still in the reckoning for the places we want to finish in. So how do you how do you feel about the likelihood that they will get uh, Antonio Conte in the next couple of days, maybe as soon as tomorrow? Yeah, not great, to be honest, because he's a, he's, he is a very, very good manager. And you, you look at you look at anyone like who could they have got better? Very short um, list, isn't yeah, it? I mean, like, I, I mean, obviously, no one because they spent the whole summer chasing guys they didn't get and settled on Nuno at the last minute. Yeah, and like because Pochettino probably not long for PSG. Um, you know, United. Uh, to be fair, 
I'm not sure that Conte would have been a fit for United just because, um, not because he's not really good, but because the type of players they've got, like um, they they haven't really got wing backs, and they Conte doesn't play with a ten. And he likes to play with the front two who are quite energetic and you're not getting that really from Ronaldo and Cavani. So I, I think that and he doesn't really play with wide forwards and they've got loads of them. So I think tactically that would have been a difficult fit. I, I think the Spurs team is is really quite set up for his kind of three five two. I'm actually really surprised Nuno didn't try that given the success he had with it at Wolves. But Basically, Spurs have got crap centre-backs and crap central midfielders, so they want to hide them in a back three and in a midfield four, which Conte will be able... Oh, sorry, midfield five, which Conte will be able to do, and they've already got a front two that's very high-functioning. So I kind of think mm. they're set up to be a Conte team. Um, I, I guess there are... Well, not I guess. There are definitely questions long-term. Does this... Obviously, they'll be paying Conte a lot of money. They tried to get him in the summer and he walked away. So they've obviously had to make concessions um, to him to get him this time. I imagine those are financial concessions. And I imagine those are financial concessions both based on his pay packet and the level of funding they're prepared to put into the team. And so I guess you'd ask the question, what shape are they going to be in when Conte goes in a couple of years' time? And how much of a hole are they digging for themselves financially? Because, you know, they they just put that new stadium together and they had over a year of no one in it. So that's that's quite, you know, that's quite a big hole for them. And they've they've kind of looks like they've taken the decision to just try and throw money at it. Um, when maybe you'd look at Spurs and say, well, they're a bit more primed for a rebuild. But then quite a lot of those players are new anyway. Like Vertonghen and Alderweireld have gone and been replaced. Eriksen's gone. Um, you know, Deli Alley is, is you know, really not there anymore um, in any meaningful way. Like, kind of most things have changed except Kane and Son. Kane and Son are the, I mean, that's the best thing they've got. Are the thing they've held on to, and but they've actually a lot of the other players are quite new, and they just haven't made them work yet. But I do think that Conte um, can get pretty immediate results with that Spurs team. So I'm I'm not happy about it, no, because I think this moves them into being like more of a serious competitor, as you say. But and put it this way, like it's it's a bit of an economies of scale effect because I was loving the work Nuno was doing. Um, and I think they were kind of primed for a bottom half finish. I know, like, had he stayed the whole season, I think they might have been looking at 10th or 11th. Yeah. Um, I know they're only a couple of points behind us, but I even think, like, results-wise, they've they've gotten more than they've really deserved. Oh, and I think they're terrible. Yeah, their fans <laughs> know that as well. You don't win um, Manager of the Month in August and get sacked on the 1st of November, like, without the underlying, like... You know, I guess to borrow one of Clive's phrases, you can't fool fans, and the fans they weren't feeling it. Even with those first three victories, they kind of saw, "No, this is this is not the football that this is not going to be successful football." Um, So yeah, I I don't think it's great really for Arsenal, but you know, we'll see. I'm I'm not like um, foreseeing doom or anything like that. I just think it turns them into a serious competitor again. Yeah, and it. It tells you a lot, though, about the direction of travel for us, because at the time when Lampard gets replaced with Tuchel, I think there was a lot of anxiety at Arsenal about, you know, we should have gone for him, and, oh, they're being decisive with their manager, and we're not with ours. And, like, I think it says a lot that you're not hearing that kind of talk with this, you know? Um, 
and tells you a little bit about the sort of faith that's been restored in what we're doing. Clive, uh, final word. I, I don't want to talk too much about Spurs because nausea, but um, yeah, any any sense of how much of an issue this becomes? I mean, not even in terms of, oh, Spurs are going to be title contenders, but just it does start to seem like it's opening up for us a bit. You know, there's fewer clubs that we're looking up at in terms of reaching the targets we want. This certainly, I think I agree with Tim, makes them, again, a team that has to be reckoned with a bit. Do you do you see it the, the same or different? Yeah, well, my original gut feeling was, um, oh, no, this is not good, right? Because Conte is someone who I really quite like, really. And when Wenger went, he was my choice, you know? So, um, but you know me, Elliot, I love a back three, and uh, <laughs> so that was obvious. Um, so, yeah. Um, but then some wise old sages on my Twitter timeline said, Clive, don't stress. This is Spurs, mate. Don't worry about it. They'll they'll mess this up. Levy's had 15 majors in 21 years. What are you worried about? They'll Spurs this up, as they always do. Conte will be out there in 18 months' time. He'll rip the soul out of the club like he does every other club he goes to the moment someone doesn't back him. So he'll be in control of that club. Levy is the biggest issue at Spurs. And how that relationship mate, goes along and how he up with Mage is going to be really, really key. And it seems to be his way or the, or the highway, right? So that contract and its, and its releases <laughs> should be uh, quite an interesting one. I uh, agree, Tim. Their team is sort of, it's sort of set up for an improvement in a different shape. And we can all see what it could look like. And some of their players are more suited to this. But they still have issues in midfield, in central defence, which they can cover with with numbers. They have a couple of wing-backs. They've got two falls, which you know about. The players in behind them are so-so. There's lots to do. The goalkeeper's in the autumn of his career, though he can be very good. There's work to do there for them. I just think it's important that we focus on being the absolute best version of Arsenal we can be and stop looking over the garden fence because... Spurs are trying to be a, a, a mini Chelsea and build the brand by just hiring and firing and using their extra revenue from the stadium to pay for compensation to people. That's that's up to them. Chelsea are Chelsea. We know what they do. We know their operating model. They've got a billionaire who has literally putting a billion pounds above and beyond the budget that you get from the Premier League into that club. And so we're in a situation where they, they're doing their thing, we're doing our thing, if we lost on Saturday, this news will be hitting home pretty hard today in our town because that's the way we think. I just more focused on us, really. Be the best version of us we can be. This is who we are. We, we're, we're building people at our club. That's what we're doing, building people. And hopefully the results will give us the protective state to allow that to continue. So we're building people on and off the pitch. And I know I like this model, so I'm prepared to go with it. <laughs> As long as we keep winning. Yeah. <laughs> as long as we keep winning. And that, and that allows everyone to have a look at it with objective eyes. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, re- results, it is reductive to only look at results. But in terms of anxiety levels and the extent to which we agonize over negative or, you know, focus on the positive, a lot of that's driven by results, right? I mean, going an hour with 29% possession 
isn't even worth more than five or six minutes of conversation when you win 2-0, right? It's quite different if if those goals go in and you drop the points. So, uh, yeah, as long as the results keep going right, then I'm perfectly happy and, and no one has to worry about me whining too much. Uh, let's leave it there. 90 minutes on a good win, and we will have a rewatch. Paul has asked to be on that one, and I, uh, for one, am excited for him to be on it. Maybe Paul and Clive can helm that one. Just get rid of me entirely. If that doesn't get you signed up for Patreon, I don't know what will uh we will have a special podcast uh, out thursday our, our regular one but we'll be talking emil smith Rowe with the scouted football folks who have put out a a new uh volume where he is the cover boy so i'm looking forward to that we've got watford at home at the weekend before we play liverpool so really important to pick up those three points and i definitely think we can do it so we'll look forward to that a lot more throughout the week tim's on twitter it's roberto thanks tim my pleasure as always clive's on twitter clive pfc thanks clive thank you very much my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter and Gunner. Now I'm going to go listen to the Arscast and figure out what I got wrong and what topics I missed and try to sneak them into the Thursday episode so normal service will be restored then. Hey, I hope wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you're doing great. Um, maybe eating some leftover Halloween candy or whatever the case may be. But I hope you, your family, and everyone you love and care about is doing well. Uh, up the Arsenal. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Watford, nope. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.